Good morning, Gospel Tab. Let me tell y'all, we fan I love you all. And I say that we love you as we come to know more and more of you personally, but we love you all because of the spirit of God that we experience when we come into these atmospheres. So for the times I'm able to come into worship with you, I never leave here disappointed. I always expect to have some sort of experience with God. When we gather, we should have a spirit of expectation. Like, why are we gathering? Like, you know, I could stay home. Why are we gathering to worship God? I want to have an experience with him. And so it's just a sweet spirit that's always here. And then I love that the fact that you all are, I mean, it just warms our soul that you're just available and accessible to the Holy Spirit. And I'm watching y'all journey along. So I do have some friends that I'm close with and stuff like that from here. But as I get to learn more and more of you, I'm just even more enthused to be with you all. If it wasn't so far, we might consider being members out here. But, you know, we get ready to come here. We got to have a full tank of gas, <laughs> snacks for the road. <laughs> you know, we got to get prepared for this road trip. But... We love being here, and I, I want to say, too, I'm so thankful. Um, some, of the, some of the most important ladies in my life are here today in support. You know, first, uh, my wife, of course, um, who has been by my side almost my whole life. I mean, I met her when I was 17, and so and I'm something such years old now. I don't know, <laughs> 54 years old. So she's been with me a very long time, and it was based off of her prayer and her alignment that I could walk into my calling. And continue. And, and a praying mom, um, we were going through the streets of Wilkinsburg yesterday. We we're coming from a birthday party. And uh, we we're going through the streets of Wilkinsburg trying to get ready to go home. And I was reminiscing about some of the not so pleasant things I was doing on the streets as a young man. Not that I was doing stuff all bad. I just wasn't living up to my calling. My mom knew my calling. I wasn't accepting it. And I had a praying mom who kept me safe, literally, not figuratively, literally kept me safe because there were just too many incidents that should have happened where the enemy was taking advantage of that opportunity to take my life. And God protected me through that. And so I went on through my career in law enforcement and all the stuff, public safety, the stuff that I did, became a pastor. And then God based off of friends, but I had two other, two of the people, not this isn't only, but two of the people who were some of my rock as well, that decided to plant with me um, and to go with me, Angel and Doreen, who are here today to surprise me. They came out to support. I'm acknowledging them because, listen, I was in not only not running, running for my call, but the second thing is when, I, when we planted the church, it was the most disturbing spiritual and natural time of my life. It was the biggest crisis that we had ever experienced. Some of y'all know the story of Brooklyn because you followed along. Brooklyn was our, our grandbaby who, um, who ended up um, dying in t at 20 months, spent 590 days in the hospital. We were right there by her side for 590 days along that journey. But the, the part that really, really resonates that, that I highlight, it is a learning point. It was difficult. But the day we planted the church is the day she died. And the only thing that was keeping her alive was the machines. And my daughter had to make the decision to say it's time for her to pass on. So we went from planting a church, celebrating. They were all there. Planting the church, celebrating, having a meal, to have to rush to the hospital and say, your grandbaby suffered a massive heart attack, is in cardiac arrest. And I'm like, from that moment on to this day, I say, God, why did you choose to do that on that day? 
There are 364 other days you could have chosen to do that. If it was going to happen, why on that day? Let me tell you, he still hasn't answered that question. And I ask him all the time. I ask him all the time. He's never answered it. But what it allowed me to do is to go deeper in him. I became so Holy Spirit desperate to know who God was in the midst of the crises. And so it's painful. We have these painful experiences and stuff, but that's part of the journey. So I know y'all wanted to hear the word. I'm excited. My typical style is that, and when I preach, my heart rate right now is about 130, right? <laughs> Not that I'm nervous. I'm so excited to want to tell you what God has shown me. That's just me. I get all amped up and stuff like, you know. So it's like my heart rate's really, really, really fast and stuff. So my core is really warm. This jacket probably is coming off. I'm just letting y'all know. Let's go to God's word. So today I just wanted to, I want to talk about something I think we all have experienced at some point in our spiritual journeys. I know we have. And, I, and that thing that we're going to talk about is fear. And I want to hit those aspects of fear and give you some things. This is not an indictment to anyone in this room. It's an encouragement. It's an encouragement for you to grow. Um, Pastor Steve asked me to come. This is part of the series. He gave me 1 Samuel 22. And the late Bishop Otis Carswell told us very faithfully, he's known for the saying, do what you're told to do, then sit down. So that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to do what I'm told to do and sat down and do whatever. So let's go. The scripture, I'm not going to preach the whole part of 1 Samuel 22. You will need to go back to pick up. But I'm going to refer to a lot of stuff in there as it relates to the sermon as I weave it together for you. I'm a, I've got three scriptures I want to read from 1 Samuel 22, and it's going to start with 1 Samuel 22, verses 1 and 2. Then I'm going to skip down to 1 Samuel 22 and just read verse 23. So first two, and then the last one, all right? I'm reading from the New American Standard Bible version. It is posted behind me, I'm pretty sure, and follow along whatever version you may have. So David departed from there and escaped to the cave of Adullam. And when his brothers and all his father's household heard about it, they went down there to him. Then everyone who was in distress, everyone who was in debt, and everyone who was discontented gathered to him, and he became captain over them. Now there are about 400 men with him. Verse 23, stay with me. Do not be afraid. Even though he who is seeking my life is seeking your life, for you are safe with me. I titled today's sermon, Overcoming the Fear Factor. Let's pray. Father, in this moment, I simply want to avail myself to you. Let nothing that was not purposed by you happen in this moment. May the hearts be receptive to what you desire to speak to them. Father, I pray as I commonly do that hide me behind a cross so that no flesh may be glorified in thy sight. May your word resonate to where it needs to go. May it seek the hearts. And may it do what it needs to do, the purpose of it, by delivering it. You said your word doesn't return to you void. I believe I prepared in a way to deliver. Now do the work that's necessary, Father, in the hearts of those who are here to receive it. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. This is television show. Some of y'all might have be familiar with. It's one of my favorite television shows at the time. Um, when it, this show that came on was sort of like a game show. And, and during this game show, the contestants competed for prize money by demonstrating that they were able to overcome the challenges that they were being presented. And these challenges were all designed to, 
to see who amongst this group of challengers had the inner strength to first accept the challenge. So by seeing it and then first accept, I'll go and do it, then embrace the challenge of their own and overcome it. The host of this show would explain the details of the challenge and how they are expected to complete it. The show was called Fear Factor. You got it. The show was called Fear Factor. And the creators of the show masterfully created stunts that commonly played on very real human fear. They involved situations such as fear of heights, fear of insects, fear of snakes, fear of darkness, fear of consuming seemingly unedible, inedible foods, and even taking people to the brink where they felt like they were going to die, the fear of death. Now, these contestants were expected to face those fears and then outperform the other contestants all around them to be awarded the prize money at the end. The person who was able to put their fears aside to complete these challenges was deemed the winner and was awarded the prize. And when, de when declaring that winner, the host would congratulate the person and he would boldly proclaim and said, apparently, fear is not a factor for you. I'm going to speak that prophetically over you. Apparently, fear is not a factor for you. And so, it is my intent to explain how our individual fears can sometimes inhibit us in a way that renders, renders us less effective for kingdom purposes. And I want to illustrate for all of you all how overcoming our fear by boldly, by boldly walking in our faith can better position us to be effective agents for the Lord. Now, last week, I decided to stop by the tab. I was doing some early scouting because I knew I had to be here to preach. So I'm getting some early scouting. I'm going to get some tidbits from Kiara's message. And my plan didn't work out. Right? So God decided during that time and prepared that she was overwhelmed after the prayer and felt God's movement. I got some more intel as to why that happened because they were, they were having experiences days leading up to last Sunday. So it made sense. So she was calling for fire. Holy, Holy Spirit fire. And I watched in masterfully how Steve came in and ushered in that time and just allowed the, God to allow uh, the Spirit to minister as the Spirit saw fit to minister to various people. So I was blessed to be here. And even as much as that stuff was going on, Pastor Steve mentioned something specifically. He was encouraging people who were present that day to receive from the Lord. This wasn't his direct words, but this is what he was saying. Receive from the Lord because the Spirit was present to minister to anyone that declared it or desired it. But also, he said this. He said he was telling people to cast aside their fears and press into faith in the Lord. This is some of the stuff he was saying. And, then, and it was times like that that we could see that. First of all, I was sitting there thinking, why is Steve all in my sermon prep? You know, he's a spiritual dude, right? He likes to pray and stuff. He's prophetic. And he's saying this stuff last Sunday. I'm like, uh-uh, Steve, get out my sermon prep. Like, dude, you creeping around in my house in the spirit, listening to my sacred. But he was hitting some points. That just means that the spirit, it was right in sync. The spirit wanted to make both of these to happen. So, but in that, it's times like that, that we can witness the supernatural. And we should also expect to experience the miraculous. You heard how Brooke brought us to, to all pray together. Like, we serve an almighty, all-powerful God, right? So why would we expect that he couldn't do 
what seems to us to be the impossible. Like, we should be praying that. The moment we don't think we should be praying the very things that God can do, then we are already placing something as a barrier for allowing him to be able to manifest as he sees fit. You can't say God is able to do this, but you're not going to place your faith to allow him to do the very this that you were talking about. Right? So we got to pray, and audacious prayers are okay. God understands. You can't, you can't present something to God that's so great that he doesn't understand. He's bigger than all that, right? And so we should expect these supernatural things when we come together. And I am one of those people that desires to see the signs and wonders of the Lord. I want to see it manifested. I want to see God move miraculously and supernaturally, right? That's what I desire. But when we, God chooses to do that, it's when he manifests when the faithful faithfully call upon him to do so. And so let me just pause on my, my normal schedule. Let me do a parenthetical pause right here to tell you from my structured sermon, because I think I need to remind somebody in this room about your spiritual DNA and where you really come from. So I got to need some help from Mark 16, 17, and 18 that reads this. This will help bless you to tell you what I'm talking about. These signs will accompany those who have believed. In my name, you will cast out demons. They will speak with new tongues. They will pick up serpents, and if they drink any deadly poison, it will not harm them. They will lay hands on the sick, and they will recover. So I, like many of you, often make these appeals to the Lord for those manifestation of the miraculous. Yet I'm a firm believer of two main things, though, even though I want to see all that, all that miraculous power. I'm a firm believer on these two main points. I believe the greatest miracle we can ex personally experience or that we can receive is that of salvation. That is the greatest miracle for every person who calls themselves a believer, saved by God. That's by far the greatest miracle that can happen. Now, we want to see the blinded eyes, the ears open, people laying walk, dead rise. But it's not. That's all in the natural. The supernatural is the eternal. When you walk into that salvation, you are eternally saved from the, sin of the, from the penalty of sin and death. That is the greatest miracle that can happen to any one of us. You've been transformed into something new. You've been redeemed and bought back by the price, so the penalty is no longer on you. You once were dead, but now you're alive in Christ. You were sick-ridden in your sin, but now you are well. That is the greatest miracle that we can experience. I want to remind that all of you all who call yourself saved, you are a living miracle. But the other miracle that we need each and every day, every single day, is that of faith. You need the miracle of faith every single day. You ever think about how easy it is to walk into salvation? You say, believe that God came in the form of man who died on the cross, who his sins, he died on the cross for all of our sins. He was raised from the dead, ascended into heaven. He's coming back in the second coming. And you say that, think about the stuff that you really say. We believe it. So we're like, well, yeah, yeah, I get it. I get it. Try thinking that to explain it to somebody who's like, that just sounds weird to me. But it's so easy to receive salvation but yet it's hard for some people to conceptualize. So we live out our faith in a way that draws them closer. I like to tell people, you people got to see Jesus before you tell them about Jesus. So living your life faithfully gives a demonstration and makes it possible for them to be attracted to the very thing that you hold so dearly inside yourself. That's what we like to see that. But I, I look at this and I say, okay, we got to have this fresh Fresh measures of faith each and every day. And some people will assume to have more faith simply means you have less doubt. 
It's not always the case. There are often scenarios that can present themselves as we walk with the Lord. I liken them to like potholes in the pathways of our faith journeys. And I would like to explore with all of you today one of those monumental potholes. It is something that can stall or stagnate us in our faith. It is something that we have called fear. And proclaiming the existence of fear can be your precursor for overcoming it. Allow me to lay a foundation regarding that word, regarding that word fear. Fear in its simpler, simplest understanding is nothing more than an emotion. It's all it is. It is the sense that something or someone is a threat and appears likely to cause harm to you. It can be a self-preserving mechanism that can help you avoid threats or help you survive in the presence of some real danger. Fear responses can be an instinctual response. Its purpose is meant to be a transient emotion and never designed to be a persistent one. Fear triggers our sympathetic nervous systems and activates physiological changes in our bodies. It is known as the fight or flight syndrome, and it's designed to get you to a safer place and out of the grips of a perceived threat. That's what fear is supposed to do. This mechanism is something that can be beneficial to us in the presence of a real threat or danger. But an unsupported, unrealistic fear is not beneficial to you as a person. An unrealistic fear portends an unrealistic problem. An unrealistic fear almost sets up for you to have an unrealistic problem. It's setting a stage for you. So if it's unrealistic, you'll start developing problems that should not have been there if you just didn't have the fear that was placed. And it was unrealistic. So we form these things. That's not going to, this is going to happen. I'm worried about this. We create problems for us that we don't even have to experience. A persistent fear can cause an inner dysregulation of self. And it can negatively impact you because it unfairly places emphasis upon something that may not even have merit. It's unrealistic. If the unrealistic fear we're experiencing has no merit, meaning it's not based in any elements of truth, then the response to the fear is nothing more than you burning and wasting calories. You're burning calories in a place that you don't even need to rest. You don't have to stay there. That's not your residence. So we pause there and burn calories when we don't have to. Quit wasting energy in a place that's not, not doing you any good. And so in this aspect, we can look at it and say, this is based on some false footing, but yet I'm having real life experiences on something that ain't even real. And people get stuck right there. We can, re we can react to something that at its core shouldn't have any impact in our lives whatsoever. In the mental health profession, fear in the extreme is known as a phobia and can negatively impact a person's ability to function. The person's fear is such a factor in their life that it robs the individual of the opportunity to experience the fullness in their life because of the persistent nature of an unrealistic fear. It purports that there is a problem when in turn all it's doing is robbing you of your peace. This goes beyond a mere disapproval or disdain for something like I was saying earlier, like scared of spiders, scared of germs, scared of heights. That's me, scared of heights, right? 
For some reason, faith keeps on encouraging me to do stuff that I, in my core, I'm just not going to do. I'm not gonna, I'd have a hard, tough time if Jesus told me to do it. I'm not jumping out of an airplane. I'm not bungee jumping. I'm not cliff diving. I'm not doing it, right? <laughs> None of it. <laughs> not. And I faced some dangers. I was the team lead for the SWAT team and the bomb squad. So I faced some dangers, but that's one I ain't doing. <laughs> not. Period. So if fear is the emotional response, then what is its origin? The origin is in our minds. What we think and how we think directs our emotions. And when we verbalize our emotions, we are attempting to depict what's going on in the innermost parts of our being. We describe them in terms of how we feel when we feel things going a certain way. We begin to display those behaviors when our thoughts are starting to churn and making us think this way. And then that's nothing more, a demonstration of the result of these inner feelings that we're holding. So perpetual feelings of fear can result in displaying fearful actions and as a result of those unrealistic, persistent fear. Those caustic thoughts are what triggers the fear response and in turn can influence a person's behavior. David, from our scripture, we see this. This is the same David as a young teen boy, very young teen boy. The one who was anointed when, when the horn was turned up and the anointing oils began to flow on the youngest of Jesse's sons. And he was anointed to be king, steps on the scene and says, who is this uncircumcised individual who defies the very God where none of the other people, none of the other soldiers wanted to stand against this Philistine giant? And he slays him. This is that David. Right? Very early. But now we read in our story the same David who just the scripture, the, the, the chapter right before, had ran to his enemy and had to act like a man, madman because of his fear. Same David. So David has those experiences. Why do you think we would be any different? Similarly, this can happen within a spiritual context. As believers, we can experience times where our caustic thoughts are connected to our emotions and then can impact our behavior. For example, God calls some people to go into some of the most dangerous neighborhoods. God called you. If you know for sure, God called. I like these things, you know, faith calls them weepy altar moments, whams, right? Weep. And that's sometimes you can get hit hard right there, whams. God comes in, but weepy altar moments. God, I'll do, I'll do, God, God, I'll do whatever you say, God. Poor uncle, use me, use me. You want me to do what? You want me to go where? God, I ain't going there. The police don't go there. I'm not going there. We become fearful. God's calling you to this. We think the danger is so dangerous. It may have some inherent dangers, but God called you there. So why would we wrestle against the very thing God is calling us? It's our own personal fear. But let me tell you another one. Sometimes God calls us to minister to people, especially in workplaces, people we commonly get in contact with. But these coworkers sometimes act like the devil being manifested in flesh, right? They just set out to get you. And you're so worried this person's out to get me. You avoid them. You're afraid of what they may do to you or say to you. So you don't even bring them or usher them into a life with Jesus because God called you, but you're afraid to engage with them. This is, this is what we do. This is what I've done. I'm sure some of you have done it as well. So those things can happen, and those are the things that we have to try to remove so we can be effective for God. God's Spirit is driving us to do something for Him, 
Yet our spirits are steady pressing the brakes because of our fear. The more he pushes, the more we push back. And instead of that going forth in faith, that constant pushback is because of that unrealistic fear that becomes a phobia. Let me explain something about phobias for you to make a link. In the scripture, the reference for Holy Spirit is sometimes translated in the Greek, pneuma, P-N-E-U-M-A, pneuma. And if you want to look it up, which I invite you to do everything we say, I invite you to go look it up, check the facts, make sure everything that's coming across the pulpit is accurate. That's what you're supposed to do, right? Go back and check that. And so all you got to do is pull up a strong concordance. You want to see where pneuma is replaced in spirit? I even tell you, you don't even have to go that far. I'm going to give you a little hint. It's Strong's Concordance number 4151. You can write that down and see all the lists where pneuma is used, right? Yep, yep, you're welcome. You're welcome. So where pneuma is represented, and so that pneuma word is, is something. It means spirit. But let me relate something to you by Scripture. Matthew 3 and 11 says this. It's familiar to you. John was saying his purpose, but he was announcing what was happening. John said, I indeed baptize you with water unto repentance, but he that cometh after me is mightier than I, whose shoes I am not worthy to bear. He shall baptize you with the Holy Spirit, holy pneuma, and with fire. Acts 217, and I, and it shall come to pass in the last days, saith God, I will pour out my pneuma, I'll pour out my spirit upon all flesh. Your sons and daughters shall prophesy, your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Those are familiar to you. So I just gave you where that pneuma word is. When we become hesitant or reluctant to move with the pneuma, where the spirit is moving us because of our fears, we become pneumophobic. We're afraid of God's spirit through us. God doesn't want you to be pneumophobic. Standing on when God's pressing you somewhere on unrealistic fears and you don't want to accomplish it. We don't want you to be pneumophobic. We want you to press in the presence of the Lord. So that persistence of this fear has consequences. And those consequences may have internal implication. The persistence of fear distracts us from following our faith. Through the empowerment of the Holy Spirit, we should be experiencing the strength of our faith, yet at times we can feel disempowered because of our fear. Fear can communicate trust in the Almighty. Fear can communicate questions regarding the Almighty. Faith tells us to step into the unknown. Fear says you need to avoid the unknown. Faith strengthens you to believe in the impossible, but fear constantly reminds you that thing right there is impossible. Unrelenting fear can be a pitfall or a pothole in our spiritual vitality. Our story today illustrates a point in David's life where he finds himself retreating to a cave after acting like a madman, running away from the very things he's afraid of. And he running contrary to his divine calling. He is the anointed king of Israel. I know there's a placeholder there. We get it. There's a placeholder. But God announced this over him. So he stands in that. Instead of standing firm on what he believes God has said over him, he's running around here in fear. We just saw that in the chapter earlier. This David, as I said, this David, that young shepherd boy standing before the giant of Goliath, takes him down. But then after that, he then moves and seeks to find out where refuge is because King Saul wants to kill him. 
And he has to go to the very enemy's camp that he stood up and said, who are these uncircumcised individuals and stood boldly? Now he has to try to find refuge amongst the people he previously called the enemy. And then he's at a place. I know I'm not in my scripture. I've got to set up something for you. He's in a place right now where he is forced to face enemy, but he's ill-equipped to stand in the presence of the enemy because he's not walking according to his anointing. So he has behavior that runs contrary to what God would design for him. But God doesn't allow him to see any harm there because he has calling, right? And so now from there, he moves over to this cave where we come to our place today. They were sitting there saying a bunch of stuff when he was with those enemies. They were reminding him like he wasn't believing his own press clippings. Saul kills his thousands, but David kills his tens of thousands. He's like, "Uh uh-oh, these people won't come after me. I got to get out. I got to move. And he didn't even believe what God is saying. He needs to read his own social media posts to sit there and say who you are. Like he needs to read that to reaffirm, but he doesn't. He runs, and he runs to this place in the cave. In that moment, David didn't even act like he believed who he was, and it was the fear that was overwhelming him. David sought refuge in a cave that was called Adullam for his personal safety, but what he experienced in that cave was something more magnificent. What he found was a deeper deposit of faith in God that previously did not exist within him. He had his cave experience, and it transformed him into the anointed leader of Israel. Right there in the scriptures, right there in the cave of Adullo. He escaped to that area because he needed to find refuge for personal safety. He couldn't go home, wasn't allowed. He was going to be killed. He couldn't go to the palace because Saul kicked him out and was ready to kill him. He couldn't go to prophet Samuel. He could not go back. To Jonathan, that relationship he was not allowed to go to. He couldn't go to the house of the Lord, and he couldn't stay with his enemies, the Philistine. He had to go someplace by himself, and he retreated to a cave. So when he had these experiences, it taught him something. And it taught him something that I'm going to tell you here today. To have faith in him, you have to believe in him. To believe in him, you have to know him. To know him, you have to be with him. We get so busy trying to do for God that we don't spend as much time trying to be with God. Being with God gets you to the place that you can do for God. If all you want to do, 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 you need to be able to be, be, be with him, right? And it should be a balance between that, almost like an old doo-wop song, do, be, do, be, do. You can do and be, do and be. It's a volley of both, right? And that's it. We do, do, do. We get spiritually exasperated, We get wore out because we're going in our own strength. God's calling you to go in his strength. And that strength comes through our faith. Being with God can alleviate our fear and build our faith because being with him confirms his trust, uh, his truth about us. Let me tell you something that's a fact. God doesn't operate in phobias, but in facts. And his facts is evident within his word. Let me give you some facts. Fact one, 1 Timothy 1 and 7. He has not given us the spirit of fear, but of power, love, and a sound mind. Fact two, 1 John 4, 18. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts away fear. Fact three, 1 John 3, 1. See what great love the Father has lavished on us that we shall be called the children of God. Love God, demonstrate what God, he cast away the fear. And this is demonstrated in scripture. Be affirmed. 
Be encouraged as I'm saying this. Please be encouraged. Walk in your faith. So, a God does not want us walking in fear. And that's why we can place our faith in him, and it will impact that fear. And that was what we said. When God has a calling on you, let me come to you back to the Old Testament. I've been in Old Testament, New Testament for so much. When God calls you and calls you to something, he makes no apologies to it. He reminds us by his word. He said he's not a man that he should lie. Nor is he the son of man that she, he would ever change his mind. Has he spoken it over you and will he not do it? Has he said it and will he not make it good? God has blessed you to do it. He is the one that blesses and no man can take it back. I paraphrase a little bit, but that's scripture. Scripture. He knows who you are. He anoints you. But he also sets up time to appoint you to go do the very thing he anointed you to do. And we got to walk into, we can follow our anointing, be secure about that, but then question the moments and times of our appointments. We then don't know, is this the time, God? Should I do it? I don't know. I'm not this, that, and the other. We want too many facts instead of relying on our faith and just move forward as God is calling us. So strengthening our faith in God remediates our individual fears. So when God's godly faith dominates, our personal fears dissipate. Sometimes it takes getting us to a deep, desperate place to begin to understand how much greater God can be in relationship, in relation to the minuscule ways that we think about ourselves. And fear housed within us can make us feel inferior, but it doesn't have to remain that way. That's because human weakness can be a pivotal point for us to experience God's spiritual strength. If that spiritual strength is rooted in the word, rooted in the Lord, sorry. David's retreat to the cave is often described as a stronghold. And that word stronghold can be interpreted in various ways. I want to explain it. Earlier I mentioned that God doesn't operate in phobias, but in facts, there is one who does some of his best marketing against you, who does this thing that, that against God's plan. He does that, but he uses this whole thing about your fear so that you can dismiss the facts that God is calling you to. And that person is the enemy of our soul. He is the author of lies. He creates them. He masters them. He, he, he configures them. So it gets you just to it start implementing measures of doubt about what God said to you. Look at it. It's the same trick that he did since the Garden of Eden. Did God really say that you will surely die if you eat for that tree? Just twist the truth a little bit. Did God really say that? And so that was the first sin. Do you think about your own walk? Did God really tell you that that's the ministry that you're supposed to do? Did God really tell you to start that business and to do that for his glory? Did God really tell you to pursue this, that, and the other and go to that? But we start thinking that, oh, well, maybe God didn't say that. Maybe that was just me. Maybe I just had a dream about it. I was in my lunch last night. Maybe God wasn't speaking these things. No, God spoke it. And if he spoke it, we need to move in it. He twists the truth. So that you just get off purpose, get off the plan. And those lies become a stronghold in our souls. Fear is one of those strongholds. A stronghold in this context can be referred of a thinking and feeling that has developed a life of its own. It starts to take over you. So fear is a stronghold can have, excuse me, fear is a stronghold can have us living according to that stronghold. You start living a life steeped in fear. Instead of faith. Yes, seeking refuge in the Lord is another type of stronghold. 
And there are times where we may seek refuge from our personal fears, only to find a place where we learn to fear the Lord. Fearing the Lord in this context means to respect and to acknowledge the authority of God as being omniscient, omnipresent, and omnipotent, that he is all-knowing, he's everywhere, and he's all-powerful. Fear in this context means that he, as we magnify him, we are able to then become humble and minimize those things that are detracting us from him. We magnify the Lord, and to do that, you got to be in close relationship with him. That type of fear of respecting his authority, his power, and who he's made you to be. And if you need another scripture reference to help you with this, Psalms 91 rings true in my spirit right now. That one who dwells in the shelter of the Almighty will lodge in that shadow. And I will say of the Lord, my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. You need to abide in the shadow of the Almighty. He becomes the refuge for you. In David's case, His desire for refuge was definitely apparent. He desired a safe space to hide from Saul, but what he received was far greater than what he was expecting. He found refuge in the Lord. He learned to fear the Lord in a way that he had never understood before. And fearing the Lord is not the same as an emotional response to a threat or a danger. The results are not an unhealthy emotional response, but something quite different. Fearing the Lord doesn't cause us a fight-or-flight response. It provides an atmosphere of calm, comfort, and care. And there are specific times when nothing else will suffice except having clear comfort from the Lord. Times of desperation can lead to times of refreshing if we avail ourselves to the inner work of the Holy Spirit. David entered the cave as a fearful loner, but after a time of being refreshed in the Lord, he emerged as a faith-filled leader. And all that time he was there, God had him protected. You know how he had him protected? He was was only a few miles away from where the cave, where Saul's palace is. He was only a few miles away. And you would sit there and say, well, God had him protected, had him obscured in the thing. This is a fact. This is the stuff that I read, and I sit back and go, well, why is that? If David's family can find them, and those who are in distress, discontent, and in debt can find them, the number was about 400 men. They weren't counting women back there. That was just the men, but I'm sure there were women and children. If all them people can find David, why can't Saul? (laughs) Why can't Saul find him? Because God had him protected. God had him secured, and he had the ability to try. And you'll read further on where there was opportunity. Saul did enter into caves where David was, and David did little sneaky things to let him know, yeah, I see you, because he was walking in his authority at that time. He walked. He wasn't running from you, take a little clipping off of your robe or whatever he took and say, look, I, I know you was in there. I was in there too, bro. I could have got you, but I didn't. That's just in, that's in the Bible. That's not me making it up. Later in Scripture, it talks about it. Why did he run for fearing Saul to knowing he was? He had a time with, with the Lord in that cave. And we can have the same thing that we can experience. No matter what, God has you protected. He might have you in a place where it doesn't make sense. I don't know what's going on around me. Things are not aligning like I desired them. Father, I need the next clue. And God says, stay with me, for I am with you, and I got your back. We want this full story. 
God has the bird's eye view. We want God, give me the full view. You might not be capable of getting all that God needs you to do if he's a show that. I often say, if God calls you to something, if he lists the things that you have to go through to accomplish that, you pull your name off of the list. You say, maybe God, maybe I don't want to do it. I got to face all that stuff. Maybe not. So he takes you along the journey to make sure that you get there. So those painful experiences and bitter disappointments could be the very thing that spiritually exasperates us and spark desire to seek something better. A realization that there must be a better alternative. When you think about it, fear and faith cannot occupy the same real estate. To increase in one will cause displacement in the other. Overcoming your fear may be a process, but we may need to learn and lean in to that process. You got to appreciate it. The enemy's desire is just to keep you in spiritual bondage. God wants you to be free. So as I close, I want to remind you, just as I open, what the Lord has spoken to you that you may have you fearful. What has, excuse me, what has, let me do it as a question. What has the Lord spoken to you that may have you fearful? What has the Lord shown you that has your emotions all fear triggered? Let me encourage you to find your stronghold in the Lord. David was able to emerge from that cave confident in who he was and who he was serving. The closing of 1 Samuel 22 describes David's transition from cowardice into confidence. Saul ordered that all the priests of Nob be killed for assisting David while he was on the run from him. Abiathar, one of the priests, was the only one that was able to escape, and he ran directly to David. David said this to him. We read it earlier. He said to Abiathar, he ran from this whole cowardly man, now in confidence. He said to him, stay with me. Do not be afraid. Even though he is seeking my life, is seeking your life, for you are safe with me. I feel this is prophetic. I feel this is for prophetic for people in this room. God is calling you to a place of refuge and he wants to whisper this to you. Stay with me. Do not be afraid. When Jesus walked this earth, the enemy came heavily after him. So the second part of this, it says he that wants to kill me, he who desires my life, desires your life, desires mine as well. So stay with me. For you are safe with me. That's what Jesus is saying to each and every one of us. The very thing David said to ABA thought. During that time, he was in a cave. I want to invite you to go to Psalms. Not now. Psalms 34. Psalms 57. And Psalm 142. These were all Psalms that David wrote while he was in that cave. So while we don't have a depiction of what happened after those people come running to him in that cave experience and after what I just read to you about ABA thought what we do have is when he had his closest moment with the Lord he wrote about it and they are Psalms read intently those words let it encourage you when you're in your dark spaces afraid read David's where he was in that cave so when you get to your cave seeking refuge let that wash over you those three scriptures father I give you thanks in this moment for the time spent in this word. God, I know there's a lot to download here. So whatever you need to bring back to remembrance at a later time, let it be so. I offer the word. I know there was receptivity to it. Now, God, it's not just about hearing a good word. 
I want to see action be demonstrated. May you release your people in Jesus' name. May they press past their fear, pull on to their faith. May they be encouraged by you, sweet by your Holy Spirit, Father, that you would sit back and inhabit them in such a way, overwhelm them with your presence, dear God. May they fall on their faces in the presence. May they absorb what it is that you have for them. May it overtake them in such a way, God, that they are exasperated and sitting back just ready to absorb who you are. God, I want to see supernatural outpouring of your Holy Spirit, fresh deposits, that it be seen that when people hunger and thirst and want experiences with God, that you right set them and set them on their way to be magnificently used by you. I pray over this in the Lord, Lord and Savior Jesus Christ's name. Amen.